is Liz Gleason, and you're listening to Shapes of Grief. Shapes of Grief is a curation of stories from ordinary people on their experience of loss, how their grief impacted them, and what helped them to find their feet again. Loss can really have such a profound effect on our lives, and it is my hope that Shapes of Grief will provide comfort, hope, and inspiration to our listeners, so that together we can get more comfortable talking about grief. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a patron of Shapes of Grief on patreon.com. This is a listener-supported podcast, so please do donate, like, share, and review. It really does keep us going. For more grief resources and grief support, find and follow us on all the usual social media channels and on shapesofgrief.com. Irish Hospice Foundation with Dr. Susan Delaney today. Susan, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Hello, I'm Susan Delaney. I'm the bereavement consultant here in the IHF and most of my work here involves working with people who are stuck in their grief, people whose grief has failed to integrate. So that takes up most of my time along with some teaching on our master's course in bereavement studies. That's what keeps me busy in here. Great, thank you for that, Susan. So just for anybody listening, it would be great to talk a little bit about prolonged grief. Um, You mentioned grief that hasn't integrated. And I know since I started doing the Shapes of Grief conversations a few weeks ago, several of the people that I've interviewed, um, their story would involve grief over a number of years and even decades in some cases. And we would know this perhaps would be complicated grief rather than regular grief, if you can say Mm. regular grief, it's not really a thing. But could you tell us a little bit about, you know, what makes complicated or prolonged grief different to a more predictable grief, let's say? Yeah, and it's difficult. The terminology is is imprecise. It's hard to even think of words. Let's let's go back to, to basics, if that's okay with you. Great. So understanding it from an attachment point of view, we're hardwired as human beings to attach others as as children and infants because our very livelihood depends on it but even as we get older we're still hardwired to attach to people to to seek proximity with people to develop that tight bond and then those people in our lives provide that kind of safe haven for us most adults have about five such attachment figures in their life the people that if something big happened to you today this friday They're the people you'd want to tell or the the people you'd want to share it with, good news or bad. So we attach to people and then if that person dies, of course, it's going to cause us difficulty. It it throws us into a state of destabilization and we call that acute grief, that idea where you're just so full up of grief, you can't think about anything else, you're just walking grief. And I think most people would recognise or would have had that experience of what it's like that early stage of grief. But we actually know quite a bit about grief now. We know quite a bit about the grief trajectory. And so for most people, they will experience that acute grief over weeks or possibly months. Um, but, But through our own kind of what we call the psychological immune system, our healing system, 
the, the grief eases. Does it go away? Of course it doesn't. But we now know that grief changes. So it, it, there comes a point where it no longer dominates our emotional landscape. Like it moves from the, the front burner to the back burner. Does it mean you forget about the person? No. But when we talk with people in grief, they will say there was, there was the day where you realized you felt a little lighter or you had a moment where you weren't thinking about the person or where you could remember them with love rather than with pain. Now, it's very important for us who, who, who work as educators in this field to be sure that people understand that that is a totally normal process. We probably can't change it. So we do need to talk to people about guilt because it's a, it's, a, it's a poor choice for someone to be in a place where they're either feeling bad or feeling bad because they're not feeling bad. It is how we are hardwired. We do feel better. Grief finds its place in our heart, but we reconnect back into our life. We remember that we're more than just our grief. So a lot of that just happens unconsciously. There are certain things people can do to help themselves in grief and it's important to know that grief is a very active process we don't just sit there and allow grief to happen to us we we dance with it we we move in and out of our grief we oscillate between really grieving for the person and 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 starting to adjust to a world without that person in it do we still miss them absolutely but once we have an attachment to somebody that stays with us even beyond the death of that person. If someone's important to you in life, they're still important to you even after they're dead and they can still provide some comfort. We still know them, we're connected to them in our heart. So that's for most people, that's kind of roughly the trajectory of grief, not in any kind of linear way or a straight line, lots of bumps along the road but we now know that most people will say after about six months and that's a very rough figure but after about six months of bereavement people do start seeing little changes themselves and if we listen to bereaved people we'll hear them saying things like you know I was thinking I might learn to drive or there was a course I was interested in or I've been trying to cook something new or I was in floods of tears today trying to find my way somewhere because my husband used to always drive or I've never signed a, Chris, a Christmas card just my own name you know that we adjust to all those those shifts and changes as that person is no longer currently in our life and physically available to us that's for most people and this is a long answer to your to your question Liz I'm struck with um, what you said feeling bad for feeling bad yeah a lot of people you know that I would say would come because mm. they need support in their grief or they're hoping to find some sort of relief from yeah. their grief symptoms and then as soon as that relief starts to come in they're flooded with remorse I don't want to feel better um, or I feel bad that I'm feeling better or I can't quite fully remember them or I'm not consumed with my grief and yeah. that doesn't feel good. Does yeah. that mean I'm letting them go? Isn't it? Or, or did I not love them? Am I forgetting them? Um, you know, it's sometimes almost like our mind isn't of much help to us in grief. The body is probably more useful yeah. because I agree with you and we see those people. But we do also see people who say, oh, thank God, I was feeling 
bad that I was actually thinking, you know, I don't have those those limits. Maybe if you were taking care of somebody who'd been ill for a long time, I was thinking about going on a trip. How bad a person am I? Sometimes there's relief yes. in offering that to people. But I do think it's on us to remind people this is no different from your, your arm healing from a break. Bodies heal. We heal from grief just as we heal from other things. And sometimes people need permission. They need to hear that. Yeah. They need to hear it's okay to enjoy 100%. yourself. It's okay to be happy. Yeah. And, and we'll get back to the complicated grief yes. in a minute. But just on that point, I, I think we were very past remarkable on grief. So the very people you're talking around, I think we have a thin skin when we're bereaved. And anyone who says something like, oh, I can't believe you're going away on holidays. I couldn't go away on holidays. Boy, those things hurt because it does mean we question ourselves. Yeah. But I think really what's happening is we just all get activated by grief. And we're trying to imagine what would I do if it had been my partner that died or my mother that died. And the truth is we don't know. But we do end up sometimes blurting out unhelpful things. And I think that is. And I think we do not know until we've experienced it ourselves. No, but sometimes somebody saying, um, I feel guilty about this, is often on the back of somebody giving them a funny look or saying, Really? Gosh, you really are out a lot. I can't believe you're out or you're looking so well. Yeah. Uh, What are we meant to do? Um, This um, more M O U R, mourning sickness, as they call it. You know, do we ever get a chance? Can we be well and still? Be missing our loved ones of course we can yeah hi everyone excuse this brief interruption it's liz here and i wanted to tell you about my grief training program if you are interested in becoming grief literate or grief trained i've designed a comprehensive online program which you can do at your own pace in your own time it's been designed primarily for healthcare providers but we all have a right to grief training and education. So if you're interested, then it's for you too. Sign up today at shapesofgrief.com. Now, back to the podcast. For your question, yeah. um, we do now know, and this is, this is pretty clear, we have good research on this. For a small percentage of people, that grief trajectory doesn't happen in that way. When we're trying to find our way through our grief, it's, it's such a tremendous transition it's not surprising that it doesn't happen smoothly for everybody. We should expect that. Doesn't mean anyone has done something wrong. But it's pretty clear now for a small group of people, and let's say 10%, different studies will give you a different percentage, but just for the sake of this, we'll say 10% of people just seem to get stuck in their grief. It doesn't continue to integrate. And I think because it's not something we talk about a lot, Again, you're meeting the person in the street of saying, well, how could you expect to feel better? Or you've had a serious bereavement. This is as good as it's going to be. And if there's one thing that we can get across today, Liz, it's that it can be better. We are hardwired in this life to experience joy, to have moments of happiness, to move on, to engage in something called post-traumatic growth, but things that come out of difficult situations um, go to places that we wouldn't have expected to find ourselves. It's not anyone's fault that their grief gets stuck. But the two messages I would like to get out is one, it is a thing, grief can get stuck, and we know that. And we have some ideas about how to talk to people to assess if indeed their grief is stuck. And we also have some ideas how to get the grief 
back on track and get it moving again. Not so it goes away, but so the person can continue on their own grief journey and find their own integration. I'd love to hear more about that, Susan. I know you're talking about stuck grief and we've traditionally called that complicated grief, which isn't a great name because um, you know, some people think if there's a complicated death, therefore there's a complicated grief, but it doesn't work that way. But more accurately, and maybe still not perfect, but more accurately, we call it now prolonged grief. How might somebody know that their grief is stuck or prolonged? I'm thinking, for example, um, if a mother loses a child, she realistically is not going to feel great at six months or 12 months or even be close to that, I would imagine. How do we know when the grief is more than what's expected of the situation and somebody is indeed stuck in their grief mm -hmm. and might perhaps need extra support? Let me just give it to you in a couple of sort of broad strokes, Liz, and I don't think it, I, I think any time we're talking with someone about this, it, it takes maybe quite a few conversations, to be clear. I don't think it's something we should rush into. But yeah. the conversation with someone should be very much a, a two-way dialogue. Frequently, people will come and say, I feel I'm stuck in my grief. Sometimes it's family members thinking it. So it's, it's, I don't want to say, check this and this, and therefore it is, we'll say now, prolonged grief disorder is the, is the preferred term. But complicated grief is one, as you said, that people are maybe more used to. And it does pertain to the bereaved person's grief reaction. So you're exactly right. It's, it's not actually about the circumstances of the death. Some, some deaths are, are profoundly difficult. We're not saying, you know, for, we're not putting them on a hierarchy. But it, your example of parents bereaved of a child uh, or a sudden death through suicide or mar murder or road traffic accident, you, you know, we, we don't have any preparation for them and they, they take their toll. On, on our resilience um, but we really are in in prolonged grief we're talking about the person's reaction their own personal reaction to the loss so it might be a loss that perhaps would not cause somebody else to have prolonged grief disorder but it's about this particular person but the kind of things we look at first is have at least six months gone by and again, as I said to you, that's only a benchmark. It's not, we don't have really strong data on that. Um, but I think it's worth considering that we allow people at least six months to, to lick their wounds, to come home to themselves, to re-stabilize in their grief. Um, and then, and simply because it's the only research we have at the moment, we are talking about the death of another person. Now, I do think down the road, as, as we expand our data and research base I think it, it perhaps will also be applied to maybe the death of a relationship or the death of a pet you know I, I do see there's a broader spectrum here but for now mm. and I think we do need to start small we check with people that they have been at least six months bereaved that it's been through uh, the death of a human being and then we start looking at how much the grief continues to impact them that sense of yearning and longing that we all recognize in acute grief in early grief we recognize it but when people get stuck in their grief it doesn't abate so we're really looking for people that are on a daily basis impacted 
by their grief, not just around particular dates or anniversaries. This is pretty much with them all the time and it's impacting on their daily functioning. They're not functioning well. They may be still going to work, they may be still parenting children, but they're probably just doing that and going to bed. They're simply existing. Um, they may have lost a sense of who they are themselves. And for me, always the key piece is no sense of experiencing any, any, any joy in their life or no expectation that that will ever happen again. I see them as people who are just existing and kind of just plodding along through life, hoping it won't be too long before they're reunited with that person. Um, and, and if we use the, the, the term carefully, that is not normal. I would like people to know if that's how you're feeling that it certainly can be better. Yeah. We use the analogy sometimes of the grief journey as a train. Just say the train has left the station, everybody's on a different train, stops at different stations for different amounts of time because people find their own way through grief and pause for different amounts of time. When we're talking about that stuckness it's like the, the train has come off its tracks and that person is stuck. And I think our job, if we work in this field, is to help people get that grief train back on track so that they can continue their grief journey. We're not taking it away from them. But if, 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 that, if the wheels are stuck, nothing can happen until we get them unstuck. Yeah. And that's our job. And thankfully, we now have some good ideas and some good data around what seems to help. And what sort of things, Susan, might make somebody's grief stuck at the beginning? Like you mentioned briefly, I think trauma or depression, um, these other elements, do they have an effect on how we might grieve going forwards if there's been a traumatic death? Yeah, certainly in terms of, and if we talk broadly about risk factors. So, so we did mention about sudden unexpected deaths sometimes deaths that are perceived to have been preventable in some way. So the ones that, that leave us with those intrusive thoughts around, if only I'd done something different, if only I had called the doctor, if only, if only. Typically something that if, if I had done something different, there would be a different outcome. And right. those ruminative thoughts can become very obsessive and, and are there constantly on a, on a daily basis. We know that some people are more vulnerable around change and transition, they don't do well with it. So if we were having a chat with someone around whether their grief was stuck, that would be something we'd be asking about. How have they managed other changes or transitions or deaths in their life? We know that people who don't have fancy term secure attachment history, they struggle more. And that simply means everything goes easier if we've had a good secure base as young children, if we have the sense that the people who care for us can continue to be a source of support to us. And the other area we'd look at is in terms of social support. We're social animals and, and we grieve socially. It's surprising what we can manage with good support. So the social support and the personal support, our own, our own resilience. People have it in different measures. Sometimes if people have a couple of bereavements close together, for example, it, it just takes its toll on us. The same way if you have a, if your physical immune system is low, you're more likely to catch a cold. You know, we're just, our, our immune system is lowered 
and we don't do as well we don't bounce back yeah. as well so i do think and and it's it's a good point to clarify it's it's not about what happened it's about our own response there are certain things that make us vulnerable to getting stuck in our grief but we're not in any way saying it's your own fault what i would like to say is if someone is stuck in their grief it's not that they're not trying hard enough it's not that they're looking for attention it's none of those things and um, there's just something's got stuck and we need to help unstick it so the message is go talk to your gp find a therapist who has trained in this work and know know that it can be different it can be better and that living well I, I think really is the best way to honour someone that has died, that we don't choose to be miserable in our own life and feel it's in some way an homage to that person. Absolutely, it's, it's a lovely not. legacy is to, Isn't it? to, to live Isn't something it? about them that you loved. If they were kind, yes. be kinder. Exactly. You know, if they love being outdoors, explore yeah. it more for yourself. Live it. Yeah. Live it for both of them. Back but to the word resilience, Susan. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's a word that's used a lot. Mm. Resilience. Could you talk a little bit about resilience, the positives and the negatives? Resilience is, is it's just psychological hardiness. I tend to be fairly basic. I explain it as we have a physical immune system. So when we get sick, we break a bone, our bodies heal themselves. Bodies know how to heal. And we have, alongside that, we have a psychological immune system that heals from hurts. So if you think of a hurt, something that happened, a mean remark that someone made, getting thrown over by a romantic partner as a teenager, getting fired from a job, things that happened probably to, to many of us. Difficult it seemed at the time, but when we reflect on them now, it's eased and it's softened because the immune system has gone to work on it. Mm. Yeah. One of my favorite examples of it is the research done years ago in, in the States where they, I don't know where they find these people, they talk to people who had been left at the altar when they were getting married and the interview was, of course, around how difficult that was, how, how embarrassed they felt, how they didn't feel they could go on. And they went back and interviewed them a year later. And what do you think they were saying <laughs> a year later? Good escape. Best thing that ever happened. I found someone much lovelier or I'm happier on yeah. my own. That's how we work as human beings. The mind is very tricky. We can trick ourselves into things. We, we develop a narrative that we tell ourselves. It feels like the truth what is truth but it's a narrative so it eases us we develop narratives around the person who died so in a prolonged grief situation the narrative can often become if only I'd done something different yeah whereas when grief has become integrated even if it is the death of a child you will hear bereaved parents speak so beautifully and movingly about their child be it I know I can be a mom or I am a mom my baby taught me compassion or patience or it enlarged my heart when I took care of my father whatever it might be we develop stories we are storytellers um, but sometimes the narrative does need to change in complicated grief so the resilience mm. can serve us well that hardiness and I'd love to make the point just about resilience as well um, I often hear people say well what will I say to the kids or should I say it to them or should we bring them to the funeral home? You know, we tend to want to protect our children mm. or our younger people. And it's really doing them a disservice at times, you know, not always, but at times to shield them and protect them from life, from mm. the smaller losses or the bigger losses, yeah. because 
it is the dog that's been run over or the cat who's been put down after 15 years. It is all these things that help them build their resilience in life, their emotional yes. immune system. Yes. Would you say something about that? Yeah, we certainly About children can. and how we prepare them to be mm. resilient adults emotionally. Mm. It's, it's such a natural reaction, isn't it, to want to protect children. Mm. We, you know, would we want our children to never face any adversity? Yes, on first reflection, but maybe on second reflection, we know it, a, it's not possible and maybe it wouldn't even be what we'd wish for them. I sometimes joke and say, certainly back in rural Ireland years ago, children knew about death. They, were, they knew about farm animals. They knew about babies. Um, not surviving. They knew a lot about death and not so much about sex perhaps and how it has changed. We, we got quite sort of precious about it and again it's the overthinking sometimes Liz. I think you know, that I, I wouldn't like my child to be upset. Certainly we, we don't want to add to children's upset but our, our job in grief is to, is to walk that path with them, to companion them uh, and introduce them into grief in whatever way it starts in their life. It is, it's the dead bird in the garden yeah you know yeah. it's whatever it is those teachable moments that 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 we can as concerned adults choose to help build children's resilience for when they face the big losses as they will absolutely if we're the parents ourselves and we're thinking yeah. most likely our children will face the loss of us and i think those losses have so many other different shapes or forms yeah. nowadays yeah. where a lot of our teenagers are facing you know, anxiety or bullying or yeah. social media issues that yeah. I think we don't even begin to understand. Yeah. Um, so we're serving them so much more rather than putting a blanket over their face, blindfolding them and carrying them through a difficult scenario to hold their hand, Just hold answer their, hand. their questions, yeah. talk to them about it. Yeah. Um, and if it's too difficult, for example, it's, if it's a difficult family bereavement, then then bring someone else into it you know maybe you're not in the best place to tolerate the kind of questions children might have but they need to know there is some go-to person there's someone they can talk to that will answer their questions mm. I, I i wouldn't like if the pendulum swung too much in the other direction and we were forcing children to do things that made them uncomfortable and i hear those stories of children being made to kiss granny in the coffin and that mm, and yes. you can see how those are disturbing yeah. things but I think children are just so curious by nature. If we sit and if we can answer their questions, give them some choices and let them know what they'll be doing. Do you want to go in and see Granny? Now, let me explain to you. She'll be cold. You know, she'll be this, she'll be that. She can't talk to you. You know, she'll feel cold, I should say, but, but Granny won't be experiencing the cold. That's sometimes thing, a thing kids worry about. But we have to... We have to explain to them what it is we're offering, going to a funeral, what do they have to do or not to. For some children, I think the upsetting thing about a funeral is seeing their parents upset, for example. Yes. So who's their go-to person, if not? But I have certainly seen a lot of people as adults that are now furious looking back on maybe some big family event, some, some death in the family, that maybe for all the best reasons they were not part of. That's the day I went to the zoo and people gave me loads of sweets. You know, children are entitled to their grief and they're entitled to partake in age-appropriate grief rituals. 
we don't have the right to shield them from it. It's very, it's a very understandable thing mm. that we'd want to do, but we actually don't have the right. It's a short-term solution. It really is. Yeah. And, and beyond children, I would also include older people. Getting on a bit myself now, you hear it. We won't upset her. I tell you, people with a learning disability. And, and let's not forget our own discomfort around those, all those conversations. At some point, are we excusing ourselves or giving ourselves permission Absolutely. to not have them? I'm not okay with this, therefore I'm assuming nobody else is. Yeah, or it would suit me very yeah. well to not have the conversation. Yeah. But I think it's extremely important to, to engage with children around the smallest of losses, mm. just for the practice. And I'm curious, Susan, has there been any research done on complicated grief and children? Yes. Are they at risk from developing it also? Yes. And, and, and this whole, we'll call it prolonged grief. You're quite right. It used to be called complicated grief. And isn't it ironic that we can't even agree on a good name? Prolonged grief is what's in the ICD. Uh, and that's, so that's what we're using just for, for, for the sake of clarity. Do children get stuck in their grief? Yes, it seems they do. There is not very clear criteria about it at the moment. Um, and I know the concern is that the criteria we have for adults might kind of get watered down or trickle down to be used for children. And I think that would be a mistake. I heard someone speaking about it um, last year in London and his point was well taken. He said that people who will pick up on children who are stuck in their grief will be teachers because these children won't be learning. There's no space in their head. They're not able to mm. absorb any new information. Mm. But it's likely to be quite a different presentation. And I think we need to we need to be cautious around that. Our, our old advice used to be when adults did well in their grief, children did well in their grief because it was being modeled. Yes. And they got to learn that yeah. you can be upset and be OK. And actually, you've just made me think of that book, um, is it Life at the Bottom of the Seabed? Is yeah. that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Who was the author again? Do you remember? <laughs> oh, you're asking the oh, wrong person for names. I, I did read it a couple of years ago, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's a, a lovely story. Well, yeah, a, a very story, difficult yeah. story, but the, this, this mother who lost a child, uh, lost her husband and, and then, then a child, yeah. and then she has a surviving daughter and how her daughter stopped learning. Yeah. Um, at age nine was reading like a six-year-old and it was just a really poignant example of how a bereavement or bereavement overload can affect a child's development. On everybody. And yeah. a family therapist asked me that recently, could, could a family, if we looked at it more systemically, could a family get stuck in their grief? And I think, yes. yeah, isn't that an interesting question? Absolutely. So, yeah, lots of more research to be done. Yeah. What I'm saying is I, I think we need to be cautious. It's quite a new area. We don't want to over-egg it. Let's start with what we know from evidence base. But I think moving forward, as we move into this area, my, my guess is we'll find out, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it is a new area at the moment, relatively mm. new. Um, Susan, can we go, go back to the treatment of mm. prolonged grief or mm. complicated grief? If you Google either, hopefully you will find the information, but you may need to Google both to get a broader a broader picture of what's available out there but back to prolonged grief and its treatment what sort of things might we be looking at if we decide to engage on a road of prolonged grief therapy mm -hmm. yeah um and and you're right you probably do need to google both because a lot of the research that was done 
is done using the older term yeah. complicated grief. Yeah. But I, I do see the irony in the confusion around the word. Yes. It, I, I suppose I like research that is is surprising. Sometimes I'm a psychologist, so I, I can say it against myself. Sometimes the research is, is kind of, it's so obvious, you think, and we needed to research that. Why? But I think one of the interesting things that, that we note in, in the grief literature is when someone is stuck in their grief, they don't do very well simply with supportive therapy. So certainly anyone who trained, as, as I did 20, 30 years ago, I think we would have been of the belief that our companionship and our presence were, were key um, to transforming grief. And that still stands, but it doesn't seem to be enough when people are stuck in their grief. So this is what interests me. We now know that most people find their own way through grief with the help of their own natural network. Sometimes people don't have access to a natural network for all kinds of reasons. So we have wonderful voluntary grief support agencies. We have wonderful people who specialize in grief that can provide that that space uh, and that presence as somebody navigates their own grief. But, you know, as Maya Angelou says, when we know better, we do better. We now know that 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 isn't enough. And I know that anecdotally from clients I've seen myself. They will say, I I went, I did go to such and such a a grief organization or saw such a counselor, and they really helped me through that early times, but I'm still stuck. And so we're only learning. We only start to know better now. And a lot of this research was, was spearheaded by... Um, Holly Priggerson and Cathy Shear, they are two of the, the real outliers in this area and they've contributed hugely to the field. There, there now are several uh, protocols for working with, with prolonged grief disorder and they have several things in common. They tend to be sort of semi-structured so we, that we begin straight away with somebody, first of all, providing some education around grief, helping them understand developing with the person some hypothesis around why they think their grief was stuck, what is the problem, and as I said earlier, often it is those kind of counterfactual thoughts of, I should have done something different, or someone should have done something different. So we, we encourage people to get curious about their grief, we encourage them to, to, to note their grief, to be able to put a, a number on their grief, you know, how, and so you start noticing when the grief goes up and when it goes down you notice that it doesn't stay static probably the the most researched protocol that we have is one developed by professor kathy shear in columbia university um, called complicated grief therapy and there's lots about this on their website there's there's a tremendous amount of information if people are interested have a look at the center for complicated grief columbia university and there's there's lots on there um, she has developed a 16-week protocol, and that's what, what we use and what we've, we've developed here in the Irish Hospice Foundation, and we've trained, oh gosh, I think up to 400 mental health practitioners in Ireland now. Pulls on motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy, and contemporary grief theory. Um, so I suppose one of the things we do now that we wouldn't have done before, but it's so important... You, we were speaking in terms of resilience. We don't spend all the time talking about what happened and how poorly the person is doing. We'll spend some time on that. The grief story is very important. But right from the get-go, getting people trying to, to visualize a life without this person 
things they might be interested in, little things that they can do for themselves, really starting to tackle some of those counterfactual thoughts, looking at what they're avoiding, because we do. If we're still holding on to a belief that had things gone differently, this person would still be alive, then it's likely that we avoid certain things. Perhaps their room is still as it was with all their belongings. Perhaps we have difficulty going into a church where the funeral was or a hospital where the person might have been. So it, it's, it's a real roll up your sleeves kind of therapy um, that's very collaborative. We make a plan, but the expectation, and we have to make sure somebody is up for this, is that they're, they're going to put some work into their grief every day. Get curious about their grief, start monitoring it, really engage with the grief story and those thoughts and that avoidance, but at the same time, begin opening up to new possibilities. And I've just been amazed at some of the things when you say to somebody, you know, if your grief was now at a manageable level, what might you be doing differently? Now, some people will say, I can't even imagine that. But again, you know, this is human nature. I have had people say things like, if, if that happened, then I might buy a motorbike and cycle around Europe. I'd like to open a coffee shop. I'd like to take my kids, my grandkids, for a picnic to the park. I'd be able to get a bus by myself. I'd like to go back and do my leaving cert. Sometimes, as we were saying earlier, kind of, given up a little bit guiltily like you shouldn't even be imagining those things yeah so sometimes we're actually exactly as we were saying earlier saying well of course you have those ideas that's that's how we're hardwired for some people it's a little more difficult to imagine them but the slightest thing where someone is actually beginning to envision a life where this person is no longer present but where they could be having a good life Absolutely. Yeah. So, as I said, different protocols. The one we use is, is called the Complicated mm. Grief Therapy, and there's lots about it online. But there are other protocols that have been developed as well. And, and, I, and I do think mental health practitioners are finding their way to this information. Um, so if, if, it's, if someone is listening who thinks they may be stuck in their grief and you go to see someone, it would be really important to talk to them around how they work with grief or how they work differently when someone is stuck in grief versus having kind of a, a more on time or normal in sure. inverted commas sure. grief journey. And Susan, you've been involved with prolonged grief or complicated grief for <laughs> a long time. Um, how hopeful can people get if they have been stuck in their grief for a long time and they're listening to this today and thinking, okay, here's, here's maybe a path I can take. Mm. You know, how, uh, what's the efficacy of the treatment in your experience? Yeah, in, in, in my personal experience, um, I know for sure I can stand over with my own clinical practice. I know people do do better if we judge better by having a better quality of life with this way of working than with the way I used to work before, frankly, when I didn't know any better. Um, so certainly doing better. I think it's important that we don't oversell it. For many people, grief isn't the only difficulty in their life sure do you know yeah. so you yeah. know I don't think we should be saying yeah do this procedure and you'll be having an amazing life for some and people struggling yeah. beforehand and sometimes people put everything onto their grief yeah it's because my dad died when I was 18 yeah you know and sometimes and other things come I, yeah. I feel very confidently saying and I think we can back this up with data if you're stuck in your grief and you're feeling very hopeless and helpless 
about tomorrow or about the rest of your life, it can be better. Absolutely. It is possible to experience joy again in your life. It is possible to reshape the grief so that you remember the person with love rather than with pain. I don't think we're overselling it by by saying that. But I think it's a conversation then to have with that person of, so what would that look like? If your life was going well, what would you be doing? And to engage with the bereaved person around that. And then tiny goals, very CBT kind of work, tiny goals. What's the first step to doing that? For many people, they won't have achieved any of those goals by the time we've finished working with them, but they'll be on the road. I'd like to go back and do Mm. my leave insert not anytime soon. So what would be the first step? Where, Where might you do that? So you get people engaged in just visualizing something like that. But also just the tiny things during the day. My experience is that people, as they get stuck in their grief, they're very hard on themselves. So even beginning to talk about self-care and little self-compassionate acts, what are the little things you can do today to begin to self-soothe, to begin to do that? And, And poignantly, people will often say, I don't do those things for myself. The person who died was the person who used to do those things. Yeah, or, or the person who died is the person I should be talking to about how I'm feeling yeah, right now. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But you know, when we have that capacity to love, you know, it's not like an apple tart. It's all for yeah. one person, if, you know, the portions. Love is expansive. If we have made that connection with someone else, we can make it with other people. No one will ever replace that person. But for those of us who have had multiple children and maybe wondered at having our second child, could I ever love a second child the way I love the first child? We find that we can. Love expands. So we meet other people. We need, in fact, to continue to stay healthy. We need to continue to find those attachment figures in our lives. People who take care of us and who we take care of. That's, that's what gives us that zest for life. Absolutely. We like to be taken care of, but more than that, we like to take care of. And I think it's, it's a lovely point that you're bringing up here because recently I've received a few phone calls or emails from people who are saying, I think my mom has complicated grief or prolonged grief. Um, you know, we've read about it. Can we come and see you? And I might say, well, when was she bereaved? Two months ago or three months ago. People unless they've been bereaved themselves or experienced a huge loss, don't understand a lot of the time the depth of the loss. You know, just, you know, a a regular loss. Somebody you love dies. And I think people feel when they're witness to the pain and how it rocks somebody from the bottom up in every cell of their body, they assume there's something wrong a lot of the time. Would you speak to that, Susan, a little bit of what grief looks like and feels like not complicated grief or prolonged grief but just when someone you love is no longer alive how how we go through that yeah and and i don't know what i can add you you've said it so well yourself it just rocks us to our core if you even just pause for a moment and think who is your go-to person if you're lucky enough to have one what would it be like if suddenly Today, they were no longer available to you. Even if we can, for that second, imagine it is even painful. We're so dependent. And very frequently, people will say, grief is way, way, way harder than I ever imagined or anticipated. And I do think that's why people think there's something wrong with them. Because we don't talk about the enormity of grief and how it cuts across us physically, psychologically, emotionally, socially, in every way. It impacts on every part of our lives 
and people say, sure, it couldn't be like this. Surely someone would have told me. Yeah. You know? and, and just to put in there, when we talk about grief and loss, it's not necessarily a bereavement either. Exactly. You know, it can be a separation, a divorce, 100%. a miscarriage, a yeah. pet dying, a beloved pet dying, yeah. even redundancy. There's a variety of ways that loss can result in a very profound grief. It's very profound. And let's include everything in there. Yeah. You know that, that, that panic you feel when you can't find your purse or your phone? It's that times a gazillion. But we know that you get panicked and you, you're gone into the future of how am I, I can't manage without this thing. Imagine if it's your most beloved person. We actually can't even fathom it. You know, it, it, it's, it's greater than us. And of course, we walk around in our own death denial. We don't ever imagine we're going to die or the people close to us, even though we know it. We, we, we can't hold that in the foreground because would you even get out of bed then? So, you know, there is always that tension for all of us that we know we're mortal. Um, and yet we have to live as if we're going to, to, to keep going forever. So I, I, I totally agree with you. I think grief is devastating. And, and we need to, to really give people space. And one of the, if we were talking about bereavement through death, one of the ones that isn't always validated as much as it should be is the, the death of a parent when people are middle-aged. There's sort of a sense that you get to a certain age and your parents die. But my goodness, when it happens to you, you think, this is major, you know? And, and for myself, you'd look back with people in work and you might just say, oh, I'm sorry to hear about your mum or your dad. But it's only when it comes knocking at your own door, you think, oh my goodness. And we have those mm. moments of thinking, I'm not sure I know how to navigate this. I don't know if I know how to be in the world mm. without this person. It's enormous. Can but I ask you a person? Well, you sorry, can, you but there. hold on one sec, because I think it's important to put it in there. Yeah. The grief is more enormous than we could ever anticipate. And people will say that. But you'll also hear people saying, and I'm also amazed at my capacity to be able to handle it. We do find that we have depths within ourselves that we didn't know. That's the resilience that comes to the fore. So it's, it's, it's harder and worse than we could ever imagine. And yet resilience brings us through. So we do find that we're able to manage. And most people do. And people yeah. have been getting yeah. through grief way before there's been any mental health practitioners around. People have been doing Absolutely. this forever. It's like, you know, walking the Camino, the Camino de Santiago. You start off and you're in bits for the first few days, but your body changes, you know, to adapt. And I think we grow around our grief as well. Good analogy. You know, Good. You, and sorry, I cut you off. Well, were I was, you going I was to ask going me? to ask you, as Struck, you said there, you know, as a middle-aged person losing a parent and how shocking it can be, you know, because we do have an assumption well, of course, they were that age, you were expecting it, it's, it's normal. Was there something that surprised you about, I think, the loss of your father? When my dad died? Yeah. Yes, I think I did. It, it's odd, I suppose, when you, when you work in this field and then you're bereaved, there is a little bit of you watching it. You yeah, know, there's nothing you can do about that. You kind of watch yeah. and think, oh, this is how it is. Yes, I was surprised. There was the moments, you think, my dad had been ill for a while and, you know, it was a relief for him when he did die but it was the m moments you wake up and you think I've no daddy anymore like when you feel like such a small girl um, or things that he would have said of you know where's my best girl and you think 
not really anyone's best girl anymore. And you feel so small in well, it. Well, that unconditional love yeah. that only a parent Only a, pa- only a parent. <laughs> if you're lucky. And you if know. you have a good dad, yeah. then it is more difficult. Yeah. But it, yes, it was harder than I thought it would be. Yeah. It was. And yet it's integrated in my concern. I can certainly talk about now. I'm not going to burst into tears in talking about it. Does that mean I don't miss him anymore? No, it doesn't. It's just become part of. It's now part of my story. My dad died probably about 10 years ago. Um, it becomes part of who you are. And I am mm. who I am because of the father I had. I look quite like him. I have his colouring. My children have nice memories of him. Uh, and his legacy lives on in that way. Mm. Yes, but I was struck. And you can do all the book learning you like. It doesn't really help when grief comes knocking at your own door. No. And you notice it. But I, I, I suppose I do take hope from that. And I try and pass that on of thinking it'll be more difficult than you can ever imagine. But you will also be surprised by your own capacity yeah. to hold it. And if you're lucky enough to have someone in your life that can witness your grief with you, consider yourself blessed. Absolutely. So what's one thing we could be doing? We could be making sure we have several important people in our lives that we show up for them and they show up for us. And that helps. Absolutely. What else? What other tips would you say? Tips, my goodness. I know. But you, you know, there's, there's, I know I've done some research myself on the mm-hmm. physiology of grief mm-hmm. and how grief manifests in our bodies and when we can understand it biologically it helps, it's it's it? Yeah. it does help yeah. it doesn't take it away but yeah if we understand what's going on we understand how to address it yeah. you know yeah. i think we, we don't talk enough about it so mm. people are quite ambushed by it yes you know we're not inclined to pick up leaflets mm. on grief and bereavement we're a little bit superstitious about it aren't we so we don't it's only when it happens and that's a difficult time to be taking in new information. Mm. But I, it's why I'm so keen, psychoeducation is a big word, all I mean is, it, and it's so important that we talk about grief. How does it impact on your body? You know, what actually happens mm. during grief? How do we know, is this normal, is that normal? Especially the anxiety, a lot of people are, are grabbed by the anxiety. Yes, and very and usual to get The book panic. you showed me earlier, that, that quote from C.S. Lewis, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear we tend to assume that grief is a sadness. Yes. And we go and we have a good cry and then we're grand again. Yes. So but much But grief more is so that. different. Yes. It just it just cuts to our core. Very usual for people to say they've gotten panicky, they have yeah. difficulty leaving home. The world becomes scary. If you got some information, you pick up the phone and suddenly your life changes, you get this life-changing news. You think anything can happen at any time. So it, what happens, I think, really, Liz, is it cuts through our death denial. We realize, you know, we are not yeah. safe. Tomorrow is not promised. You know, so we lose all our stability, I think. Absolutely. How and, do we know? And nobody is immune from this. Yeah. It's a point you brought up earlier. Yeah. N- bereavement therapist, priest, nurse, yeah. psychologist, yeah. teacher, you know, somebody who's reached their 95th year, we we have this assumption that they're a little bit immune because of their age or their role. Um, But nobody is immune to the effects of grief and loss. And isn't that the the great leveler, though? It allows us to show up in our common humanity. Yes, yes. It's no different. Um, And and I, I, I do think for those of us who work in this area, it makes a difference. You need to show up in a different way because this is this is 
something universal. We're not working with someone who's had some something happened to them, but it hasn't happened to us. There's no doubt about this. We have been bereaved. You don't get to be any age without being bereaved. As soon as you begin life, losses start accumulating. But we have to show up for our own. We have to be clear on our own. But I think we have to be willing to meet the other person there as well in this shared experience of our mortal life. We know that in Ireland today, probably 80 people died. Some of those were very ill. Probably two of them died by suicide. But many of those people had plans for today. You and I agreed a couple of weeks ago to do this interview. I didn't say to you, I'll do it as long as I haven't died in the meantime. Mm. Those thoughts just don't enter our head. Absolutely. And we understand why they don't, because we have to function. But there's that tension. So when we are bereaved, suddenly it's a game changer. You think anything can happen at any time. And what can we learn from it? Do stuff now. What are you waiting for? Tell people you love them. Go do the Camino. Do you know? Yeah. Do yeah. whatever. There isn't all the time in the world. Um, and what yeah. brought you here, Susan? <laughs> you know, you Gosh, said we've all yeah. been bereaved in our lives, yeah. and you know, I don't think it's coincidence that we're both sitting here in these chairs. Our lives, to some degree, have brought us where we are. Yeah. What yeah. brought you here? Yeah. Um, I suppose I was I was bereaved before I wasn't even born because my parents had had a daughter the year before I was born who was ill and died uh, a month after she was born and the the advice then was go home and and have another baby so I guess I am a substitute baby I arrived into a family that was bereaved and and that's what it was I I have to believe that impacted uh, and how I find find myself doing the job I do. So I sort of grew up a little bit in the shadow of, of knowing there had been this other baby, but never really paid much attention to it. Only, I think, as I got into the bereavement work that I did some some digging and talked more to my mum about it. But I suppose if I, if I was writing my life narrative now, I would attribute me being in this field to this little baby called Carol, who was born a year before I was yeah and you've written a lovely piece about Carol which <laughs> is that piece. Yeah, yeah which is on shapesofgrief.com on yeah. the blog there I I, yeah. I do think we should look at what what draws mm. us to this work because we we are we are drawn to it just as we are repelled by it and that tension we need to constantly review in our life and as service providers we need to always make sure we're coming to the work clean there may be times in our own lives where we need to step out and yes. do our own do our own grieving. And I think that should be a very open conversation with yeah. people. As you said, we're not immune to it either, part of it. But I think it's it's what can make us good at what we do. It can certainly inform us. Yes, that know. we show up yeah. as, as, as fellow travellers on this grief Absolutely. journey. Absolutely. And I think when we've had that experience and we know, I mean, I tend to call it the gutter, but yeah. you described earlier about um, meeting someone where they are and I, I wanted to jump in, I forgot, but I'm remembering now. It's so such a lovely point when somebody is in grief, not trying to pull them out to where you are. Come on, join yes. us. Yes. Come and be over here. Go yes. and meet them where they are. Yes. There's nothing more yes. beneficial. And if you talk to bereaved people and ask them what helped, I, I think mm. universally that's the answer people give is the person who met you where you are. Yeah. That didn't and, judge you 
Didn't or think fix you. You should be staying in more or you should yeah. be going out more or whatever it is you should be yeah. doing different from what you're doing or I'll tell you what you should. You know, that we go into that advice giving mode to yeah. meet someone where they are. Does that mean you don't sometimes give a gentle nudge? Yeah. Of course, sometimes that's appropriate but the beginning bit is where they are. Whoever it is, they are doing the best they can. They are managing in some way. They mm. have some coping strategies in place. Sometimes the way we cope is functional at the start but over time becomes dysfunctional. Yes. But if we yeah. have moved back home, you know, and are spending a lot of time maybe in the house, which is a very natural thing people will, will do to regroup, it can be difficult to come out again. And it's, and it's isolating. It's it very, very isolating. Lonely. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you were saying earlier, I'm laughing about the tips, the tongue-in-cheek tip I always give is, be careful who you take advice from you know yeah. because you you know your grief yourself absolutely but having said that i'll make a liar of myself and say if you're supporting a bereaved person enough with the vague give me a call if you need anything yeah. it's not useful if we're talking about someone who's maybe struggling to step back out again socially make it very specific yeah would you like to go there's a good picture on i think you'll enjoy it i can come and pick you up and drop yeah. you home later and providing that container and safety Contain. and holding that they yeah. need. Would you like to yeah. come? Mary can bring you. And if you yeah. need to leave earlier, you know, it's no problem. Yeah. Sometimes bereaved people say it's hard to go out because going back home is so difficult. You forget for a moment mm. and then you go back home and it's empty. And even just on a very basic biological level, I read something recently which really resonated with my experience personally and professionally that, you know, our social system is really compromised when we're grieving, like when our attachment system mm -hmm. is turned upside down and inside out because someone we love isn't there anymore, it's very hard to step into a social system. Very. You know, we have to be okay internally to be able to step out of that and meet other people and be around other people. And, and I think our, our comfort zone shrinks as well. It does. For a lot of people, you know, nearer to home is just more comfortable home at that time. Small. Plus, we've talked about our own discomfort about grief. You're also you're going out socially and everyone else is a bit nervous as well. You quoted C.S. Lewis earlier in, in A Grief Observed. He also says, I never realized as a bereaved person I'd be a social embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going out, yeah. but everyone else is, are we meant to mention the yeah. person or not mention them? So sometimes in our own bereavement, we end up having to educate people around us. Absolutely. It's okay yeah. to say her name. You know, you're not yeah. upsetting me. You know, it's lovely that we're talking about her. And Don't a, feel and you made a mistake because now I'm crying. Yeah. Do you know? And a bereaved person will often say that all I want is to hear their name. Yeah. All I want is to know they're remembered, yes. that other people are thinking of them also. Yeah. Well, don't mention it now because it'll remind her. So yeah. there's kind of a disconnect. It'll isn't make there? her sad. Yes. They don't know that every cell in that, per every atom in yeah. that person's being is is full of the person they're missing and longing for. Yeah. yeah. But I think if we start, and I think what, what, what you're offering is just a tremendous service. If we can start those dialogues where people are talking, where they're saying things like, oh, me too. Yes. Or isn't that funny? I really wanted people to talk about my dad. But now I yeah. realize they were saying, well, we won't mention her dad because that will upset her. I think, yeah. ah, well, then let's talk about it. You know, these Giving conversations Absolutely. Yeah. It's just normalizing it and hopefully validating people's experience as well. If they think, yeah. you know, like you said earlier, it's not talked about enough. 
So we don't, we experience grief and it, it pulls the rug from under us yes. because nobody ever told us. We don't talk about it's a little bit like childbirth. Yeah. But and we do. I suppose nobody the, the, ever the, told us. Exactly. <laughs> I, I do use that analogy sometimes. It's a bit gender biased, maybe. Um, and, and I suppose the, the, the other tip I give people is say, well, I don't want to bring it up because you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing or I don't want to. Yeah. I like the, the Mrs. Doyle with the, the cup of tea. We do, we do read each other all the time. If you offer someone a cup of tea and if they say yes or no, you, you, you can read between the lines. You know if they're saying, ask me again and I'll say yes. <laughs> I don't want to put you to the trouble, but if you're putting the kettle on anyway, you know, we mm. do know that. So apply the same standard when you're talking to a bereaved person. Watch them. You, you will know, do they want to talk about it? If someone's in Tesco trying to do their grocery shopping with two small children and they say, I'm fine, read that. They're saying, well, maybe I'm not really fine, but this isn't the time or the place. Absolutely. Yeah. So think about yeah. it. If I was offering them a cup of tea, would I yeah. be hearing, no, thanks, I don't want a cup of tea? Yeah. Or, you know, I'd like We're one asking and half people an to hour. waken up their perceptions. Like, yeah. be perceptive, but read we do the situation. Have yeah. yeah, we can do it. It's yeah. not a particular skill. It's the same skill. And I think for Irish people, it's that of saying, you know when someone wants a cup of tea or they yeah. don't. Don't just go by what by their words. We read it all the time. Yes. Mrs. Doyle got it wrong. She was relentless. We don't want to be those grief junkies. Don't be relentless. Sometimes when we're bereaved, we need a break from our grief. Yeah. So yeah. read the signs. I don't always want to to go there if and I'd be kind sometimes a hand on a shoulder says a million things kind is always good just a hand on a shoulder you know if you don't know what to say yeah I don't know what to say said you name it I don't know what to say and I'm here and and there are we don't have words for grief it's it's Mm. so far beyond grief we Mm. don't have to that only becomes ego of trying to come up with something amazing to say it's not about there it's just the presence the witnessing showing up for a funeral showing up for a removal it really really matters it's never too late to write a note and people say oh i was away and i missed it so again i don't want to be now it's too late never ask a bereaved person they'll say two years later how excited would i be to find a note in in the letterbox fantastic never too late never too late it's just conversations we need more of what you're doing that we can have these conversations that we're all on the same page because we're all in it together and around every type of loss as well yes you know it's like i mentioned earlier it is separation divorce miscarriage you know for some of us when we hear about a loss it's in our mind for a few days or a few hours or maybe a few weeks Mm -hmm. you know but we kind of forget then eight months down the road or 14 months down the road this person's life has changed dramatically and you know grief can be a long process you know when there's a numbing you know or just survival sometimes for the first few months or the first year you know and sometimes year two is where really the profound sadness can kick in and everyone else has moved on yeah go the distance this is go the distance it's not a sprint it's a marathon don't cook them dinner every day for a month and then then disappear yeah you know the other important point that you're making in that and it is worth mentioning is sometimes the the big losses we're aware of them you've seen in the paper someone's been bereaved but there's all the hidden losses and that's why we have to be kind to each other yeah you never know when you've met someone what's going on for them we will sometimes in the Irish Hospice Foundation do a piece around Christmas for someone that's bereaved at Christmas um 
But there, there's sometimes the very obvious griefs. For someone whose partner has died, there's many, many people that have come to the end of the year thinking, I thought this was the year I might meet that special person, yeah. and I haven't. Or become a mother or, or a parent. A, not so much my child has died, but another year has gone by. The adoption hasn't come through. Yeah. I'm not pregnant. I've hit menopause. You know, those hidden losses that we don't tend to talk about, maybe other than with our nearest and dearest. And so they can be all-consuming as well. 100%. But yeah. well, we don't know. But we mm. need to privilege not just the, the big significant losses, but the small, the yeah. daily losses, you know, the loss of the job, the thinking your memory is failing, yeah. loss of a good friend, all of those. It's why kindness yeah. and compassion goes a long way. And it's often where we least expect it as well. I remember yeah. doing a theatre piece um, in Athlone a few years ago. It was playback theatre. Mm-hmm. And the thread that came through the performances was this idea of... Um, retiring or redundancy Mm. it was just in the room this was coming up for people Mm. and I'll never forget one man standing up um, to say he had retired recently he used to be a vet and he didn't know who he was anymore as a retired older man he felt he had lost his identity his status his place in his community and the grief was tangible yeah Yet this is exactly what you're talking about. It's one of these, maybe a disenfranchised loss a little bit. We can't talk about it. It's a profound transition, a profound impact. But it's not something that I think I can talk about because mm-hmm. no one else talks about the loss yeah. of retirement. Yeah. The loss of... Yeah. Hey, hey, you're retiring. You don't have to go to work in the morning. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. yeah. Very incongruent with what the person might actually be experiencing. Yeah. yeah. And, and just as there, there, there's, there's loss in transition, there's also growth in transition. And bereavement is, is similar in that way. Yeah. You know, so people will afterwards say, it, it brought me to a whole different place in my life. I never thought I'd be doing this. You know, Absolutely. Surprises us. Who would I have been had I not gone through yeah. what I did? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Can we find meaning yeah. in it? That yeah. we can live with. Can we find a, a narrative that makes sense to us, that supports us in our life choices? Absolutely. Yeah. So, do you know, I th- you're saying it's not all doom and gloom. I think grief is more difficult than, than, than we sometimes realize. But I think the good news story is that we now know about resilience and about this psychological and immune system that can help us to navigate grief. Mm. Um, we have good support agencies if people need some additional support. And we now have a couple of therapy protocols for the small group of people who become stuck in their grief so that they can get their grief yeah. back on track. And I think Ireland has, has really taken a lead on some of these things. I think we should be proud of where we are. We absolutely, have, yeah. absolutely. And there's a lot, especially in the media nowadays, there's a lot of people who are doing amazing things with their grief. And I wonder, you know, Leonard Cohen's song, there's a crack in everything that's how the light gets in you know was he referring to some sort of massive loss or grief that does crack open your heart yeah. but with that with the pain of that also comes the privilege of being able to love a little deeper yes it and be a little bit kinder be a little bit more open to compassion yeah. and live a richer life yeah. You know, often that is it, it is one it? of the things yes. that comes from grief. That when your heart breaks, there's a choice. It can break open. Yeah. Your heart can break open. Yeah. And then yeah. we feel connected. 
Yeah. And someone actually I interviewed recently talked about that. Of It was Ruth Fitzmaurice. She wrote, uh, she talked about courage, courage coming from the word cœur for the French for heart. heart. Yeah. And it is a sense of your heart breaking open. Yes. Which can lead us to all sorts of amazing places in life as well. Yes. And yeah. I certainly have, there's a Canadian study on bereaved parents. And, and a couple of those things, say I felt myself after my childhood being more empathetic, being willing to talk about grief with other people. Yeah. Uh, while also having less patience for people moaning about stupid stuff. <laughs> you know, it's sort of the, yeah. the and we could all it do recalibrates that. our That's our it. priorities, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah you know. well, Susan, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. It's Pleasure. been a really rich conversation. Thank you. And Thanks, I'm sure yes. people listening will have got gleamed a wealth of inspiration from, from you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. so much for listening to this episode of Shapes of Grief. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical or psychological advice. If your grief is making you unwell, please do go to your healthcare provider. Grief is a normal part of being human. You are not alone. Join the Shapes of Grief community in our private Facebook group and find more support and useful links on shapesofgrief.com. Until the next time, from me, Liz Gleeson, stay well.